Well, good morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house with his people. Several weeks ago, um, we attended a youth group reunion for those of us who were born in the 60s. And as we reflected and remembered, uh, this verse was quoted and referenced to. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. And I would venture to guess that many of us um, here this morning would agree and acknowledge with the psalmist on the reality of this truth. In our lives, as, as you reflect back on your your lot in life, wouldn't wouldn't you also testify that this is true for you? that your, the lines that have fallen for you are, are really, have fallen really good places and that your heritage is something that you're extremely grateful for. So I'm just confident that for most of us, we, we, we agree or we concur with the Psalmist David here. There, there may be a few, few among us who, who actually feel otherwise. Maybe or possibly you don't find yourself in pleasant places right now. And that your reflection back says that your life wasn't born sunny side up. Your lines that have fallen for you is that of being born on the other side of the tracks. Not so pleasant. Your heritage doesn't seem so goodly. A.W. Tozer says, to the child of God there is No such thing as accident. He travels an appointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him and misfortune stalk his way, but these evils will be so in appearance only and will seem evil only because he cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence. I also think it's noteworthy 
to consider the condition and circumstances that the writer whom we attribute to uh, penning or writing this psalm, I think we rightly assume it was King David who penned these words. And, and he certainly wasn't a stranger to frustration and difficulty. When he was a, when just the, probably a, just a teenager, uh, we see the prophet Samuel come and, you know, the sons all go before him and he chooses David, anoints him, prophesies that he's going to be king of Israel. Shortly after that anointing, David is asked to come and play the harp in the court of King Saul. Just prior to that, you know, he, he um, had killed Goliath. And it wasn't but a, just a few years later that the whole nation of Israel was singing praises of David as he came home from victory after victory. There was, there was so much praise and adoration lavished on David because the Bible says he behaved himself wisely. And this resulted in just an insane jealousy on King Saul. And David is fleeing for his life. And so for, for years, long frustrating years, David was a, a fugitive. Ah, he was anointed to be king, but he was out there in the mountains of En Gedi, running for his life. Running to get away from someone who wanted to take his life. Sometimes the Psalms will tell us he was in a horrible pit. Other times he was in caves. And it was out of these experiences that David, I think, wrote some of his most meaningful Psalms. And it was probably in this kind of a situation that he wrote this one. We don't, we don't know that for sure. And so when we read this psalm this morning, we, we, we obviously see that God didn't forget about David when he was out in the mountains. And he's not forgetting about us either today. It's generally us who get a bit short-sighted when things get frustrating. I'd like to just consider a, a number of phrases in this psalm other than verse 6. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Verse 5b, thou maintainest my lot. Some of you know what maintenance people do. A maintenance man is the person who keeps everything up to date and makes sure that if anything's going to go wrong, he, he's there to fix it. He's, he's watching over it. Most of the maintenance men that, that I've seen and, and interacted with at times get overwhelmed and maybe even overlook a few things. But God isn't like that. God is always on time. He never slips up on anything. 
To have him maintaining our lot is of just tremendous value. Verse 7b, my rains also instruct me in the night season. Rains has the idea of, of, of being guided, being directed. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Verse 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now the heading in my Bible for this psalm says this is a, a mitzvah of David, which some think translates to a, a golden psalm or a very precious one. We, we believe that um, history would tell us that these psalms were often used by God's people in, in corporate worship, uh, special events. Sometimes I believe they sang them together. Sometimes they may just have recited them together in their assemblies. <clears throat> and we're also told that when the translations were done from what they used to recite in Hebrew to what we have in our Bibles in English today, uh, we've lost a lot of the Hebrew poetry and, and the things that made the psalm sound, you know, kind of beautiful. We, we still have accurate content, but it's not put together and arranged in our language as, as poetic as it was in theirs. So this particular psalm, Psalm 16, was we call it a, a mictum, a mitzdom. And there are only three or four, I think four other psalms that are referred to this. I think it's Psalm 56 or 60 or somewhere in there. I didn't really look it up, but but maybe a mictum to, for them was a little bit like a, a favorite of ours in the hymns of the church. Something that, you know, we just, we just love. It's, this psalm really ministers to us. We love it. This psalm, Psalm 16, focuses a lot about finding our security in Christ, in God. And I... I had to ask myself that this week as I was studying. Is this, is this true for me? Do I actually find my security, my refuge in God? Is, is, is God enough for me? Do I find him satisfying? Or am I constantly grasping for, for something else? Things or activities or people... We already know aren't going to satisfy, but we, we, we sometimes do it. We live in a society that teaches or conditions people to find their security in achievements, maybe in education or career, business, wealth, investments, and probably lots of more things. We're, we're kind of taught that or conditioned that. But David explains in this psalm that trusting in any of those things is setting yourself up for more stress, more disappointment, and he points us to this, to his God, finding security in him. As we think of verse 6 and the, uh, the heritage being a goodly thing, 
Um, let's see, inheritances come to us because we did a lot of good things or we paid for it? No. A heritage comes to us generally as a gift. Something we don't deserve. Something that somebody else did for us. Provided for us. And especially in salvation. Especially in salvation. It's a tremendous gift. A huge gift. I have three foundational truths that I want us to, to settle in our minds this morning as we work through this psalm. Reasons I suggest that we appreciate and that we rejoice in God, in his salvation. I remind us again that Christians have so much going for them. E- even when it doesn't seem so at the moment, This is still the best place a person could ever be. So the first one I have, if if you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, your bad things will work for your good. Now, I don't know of any any other thing that does this other than in God's economy. Your bad things will work for your good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So he says, if you love God, if you're a child of his, then that, the promise you get by being a child of his is that everything is working out for your good. I don't know about you, but I, I have to keep my focus on this verse at times. We need to keep our focus narrowed and biblical to this truth. Reason number two, if you have Jesus Christ, your really good things cannot be shaken or taken. You think about being adopted into God's family. You're a child of his, justified in his sight. Your union with Christ can't be taken or shaken. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. No condemnation in these folks. There's a lot of people with a significant amount of condemnation on their shoulders. But God's people, they don't have it. One who is walking close to Christ has no condemnation on his life. You and I meet a lot of people throughout the week who sense serious condemnation on themselves. Such a blessing. Another passage that uh, speaks to this solid sureness, this guarantee to a faithful follower of Christ is in uh, John chapter 28, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. This is Jesus' words, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, George Bronk used to remind us that we do have the ability to jump out of this, out of this, out of this, uh, out of this security and safety, but no one else 
can, can force this on us. No one, regardless of how powerful and how strong they are, can take or remove this safe, secure position in Christ. And then thirdly, if you have Jesus Christ, you, the best is yet to come. This probably means more to us as we get older than it did when we were in our 20s. But it's true for if you're in your 20s also. If you have Jesus Christ, if you love him, the Bible says your best things, eternal life in heaven, the new creation, an eternity of pure bliss, this is all ours yet to come. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And so just again to recapture these three points, your bad things work for your good, your good things cannot be taken or shaken, and your best things are yet to come. A few comments on preserve me, O God, for, I, for in thee do I put my trust in verse 1. I, I don't know if we think about this as much as we need to or should, that we really do need God to preserve us. Preserve me, God. Take care of me. It's a recognition that we live in dangerous circumstances. Dave referred to this when he chose that last song. We need to recognize that we are prone to fall. In fact, there's, there's lots of them falling all around us lost their first love. The psalmist is asking God to preserve him. I'm choosing to trust you. Preserve me. Now this psalm, Psalm 16, reminds us that life does have a lot of pleasures and benefits and delights. And as you reflect back on your life and your condition today, that's true for, for some of us about all the time. And it's true for most of us at least some of the time. I don't see David here arrogantly saying, hey everybody, just look at me, look how good off I am, how well off I am. No, he, he's not... He's not trying to show off. Instead, I believe the point of this psalm is to try to tell us that especially in prosperous, uh, prosper, prosperous, time, prosperous times, especially in prosperous times, we need to work hard to keep focused on what is true. Especially in prosperous times, we need to work hard to keep our focus narrowed. And let's just be real honest here. This is, this is really, really hard work in 2022. After all, when are we most likely to forget God? 
when we're beaten up by life's heartaches or when everything's just gone really well? When is it... See, Cliff talked about this this morning. When do we find ourselves more prone to pray? When we're in trouble? Or when things are just going really good? I think we, we know the answer. And I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm of the persuasion that just maybe it's actually more difficult to be faithful, remain faithful to Christ and his commands in times of prosperity and ease than what it is when his people are physically persecuted. You know, when David was being chased like a partridge through the wilderness, it says, in the mountains in the wilderness of Engedi, it drove him to Christ. Granted, I've, I've never been faced with a probable martyr's death, and so I, I certainly don't even begin to claim how hard that would be. But I do know a little bit about a heart inclined toward treasures upon earth that just want to steal a heart away from God rather than toward him. Treasures that the Bible tells us are soon going to be covered with moth and rust and eventually just burn up. I admit, I don't know anything about needing to go to bed hungry. I've never had to do that in my life. I've never seen my children or grandchildren need to go to bed hungry. I don't know anything about being fearful as we came to church this morning. Met for worship. And so I I just like to remind us that these good, easy times of life do come with spiritual dangers. I think it's important for us to understand that those of us who have our lines falling in pleasant places and have little struggle and hardship we walk a dangerous terrain. This takes, this takes a lot of wisdom to navigate. Like Wendell told us last week, go for wisdom. Work hard to get it. And probably even work harder to perpetually exercise it. Samuel Johnson once said that a death sentence has a marvelous way of concentrating the mind. A death sentence has a way of forcing us to align our priorities. Fact is, we all have a death sentence, don't we? We, we just don't know what date to put to it. We all know that unless the Lord returns soon, this, this is inevitable for all of us. Now, if, you're, if you went to the doctor and you're waiting for some lab results, 
And the doctor calls you up and says, uh, I think you'd better come into the office because we need a talk. Well, you can be assured that your thoughts will get very serious very fast. Right, Sam? Amen. Right, Matt? Jewel? Some of you who are Some of you who watch your calendars better than I do probably remember that uh, this weekend is a year since Matt had a stroke. We're really glad that you're still with us, Matt. It's been encouraging to see the grace of God work in your life and in Jewel's life. We want to continue to pray for you both for Derek and Diane and Mason and Malia. But a death sentence has a marvelous way of concentrating the mind. The secret or the remedy here is to have a well-concentrated mind when there is no looming sentence over us. And I... I'm telling you, that's hard work. Living a life full of blessings and abundance is a wonderful thing to experience. But it takes lots of wisdom. Is it possible to have lines fall into pleasant places, experiencing a wonderful heritage? Is it possible to live faithful in such a state? Maybe even do what our parents did for us, leave behind them a legacy of faithfulness. Is it possible? Well, I'm confident by the grace of our good God that, yes, it is possible. One of, one of the notable things in this psalm and, and in other psalms is that this psalm is just packed full of gratitude to God. In every line of the psalm, David is essentially declaring, the Lord is everything to me. I note especially verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is right here beside me, I'm not going to be moved. The person who does this, the person who exercises this, He, he's probably going to be safe. Probably is not even a good word there. He will be safe. 
No matter what your particular lot is in life, keeping God always before you is the best thing we'll ever do for ourselves and for those we love. For most of us this morning, that means a constant saying yes to God and no to self in the midst of a you know, a life that is just awash with blessings, prosperity, lines in pleasant places, goodly heritage. And if you don't have, if that isn't your experience, then you also need to keep the Lord always before you. Most of us have likely heard bits and pieces of the, the health and wealth gospel. They preach that if you sign up with Jesus, you're going to be guaranteed a life here of just good things, pleasant things, ease. Now, I don't think we're real inclined to believe that, but if you ever are inclined to believe that, just, just open up your Bible and read the Psalms, the laments of being a child of God. Read about Jesus and what he said is going to happen to you. You're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. Read about the apostles and their lives when they did that and the faithful down through history. Preachers and teachers who promote the simple equation of fake faith equals material success, they represent nothing short of heresy. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. God alone is the one who can show us the path of life. Verse 11. Must have missed this flight. Verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is not referring here to a path that leads to, to Wall Street successes. No. It's a path of life that leads to God's kingdom. It's the road home. It's a road that is narrowed. It's straight. It's difficult sometimes. It's a road where we acknowledge him as Lord of our life. He calls the shots, and we say, yes, Lord. Verse 6, I'd like for us to just read several translations of this one verse. Of course, we have the King James. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Basic English Bible says, Fair are the places marked out for me. I have a noble heritage. And then NIV says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a delightful inheritance. So the lines, the boundaries, the places that God has marked out for me, marked out for you, set us in. Like I said before, for many of us as we reflect back, we said, God did it very good. God put me in some very nice places. But the fact is, for many of us, those boundaries we, we, had, we had no say in it. We had no control. 
where the lines were drawn. We didn't influence the selections. But we just simply say, God, you did it very nicely for me. Now here in verse 6, we, we see David saying, yeah, he's, he's in pleasant places. I don't know for sure where he was when he penned these words. Most, most uh, commentaries, Bible scholars would say he was in En Gedi. I, we don't know that for sure. But as we read this this morning, we say, well, yeah, it's nice, David, that you got out of that cave or out of those pits. Nice that you moved into the, <coughs> into the, the Bethlehem Hilton and in, in a pleasant place. And maybe he was. We don't know for sure. But very likely, he still had some troubles in his life, some frustrations. In the midst of difficult time, David is able to declare that the lions have fallen unto him in pleasant places. Yea, I have it very, very good. You know, this is really about focus, isn't it? It's, it's thinking rightly for the long haul. We're not just looking at the immediate. Yeah, we need to remember that our life is just a short time. The Bible says it's, it's like a hand breath or like a vapor in comparison to the one to come. Just a short time. And so with that reality, we need to keep in focus that God, well, let's see, this, we have this verse, several verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 to 7, that he talks about inheritance. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay, we need to think about, we need to think rightly about this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Maybe David was still in Engedi, because it says here in verse 6, where you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The New Testament talks a lot about an inheritance. We need, to re we need to remember this. We need to think about this when we're going through these, these seasons of life that aren't so pleasant. Yeah, I've been adopted into God's family. The Bible says he has wealth untold. I'm adopted into his family. And so I get to share the family's fortune, right? And it's a big fortune. We need to sometimes list the benefits that come with being a child of God. It's a long list. It's the inheritance, the riches of his grace, the kindness, patience, glory, wisdom, power, mercy he gives us, eternal life, and we get to spend eternity with him in heaven where everything is perfect. You see, when you choose the Lord as your portion, he won't let us down. He won't come up short. 
Your inheritance is priceless. It's permanent. It's protected. No one can take it from you. It can't be destroyed by disaster or failing economy. Way too often I forget how good I'm off as a follower of Jesus. <coughs> Let's think a little bit more about these lines and boundaries that God places in our lives. My lines have fallen into pleasant places. We recognize, I think David recognized, that God has directed those lines. Sometimes God draws the lines and we have no choice in them at all, such as the parents that he gave us. We didn't get to choose them, did we? No choice at all. Many other lines and boundaries that are drawn, we do have opportunity and responsibility in where those lines take place, such as the spouse you chose to get married to. You had some choice in that. Not sure how much Joseph had choice in it, but all of us did if you got married. <clears throat> At times, when we make choices such as a spouse or other significant choices, I hope we take as much thought in those big decisions as we should, but I'll admit that I probably didn't think about all the things that would come into my life because of some of those choices. I think what is really key here is that we're in close relationship with Jesus Christ as we make those kind of decisions. Because he cares. He wants what's best for us. Lines and boundaries are a gift to us by God. I think we should, we should think about them as good gifts from a loving Heavenly Father. Without, without boundaries, without lines, we would probably face greater insecurities. We would have lack of identity. We would have much more vulnerability and lack of peace. You know, there's something about human nature that functions best when there's lines drawn for us. Uh, I think about this especially with younger children. But it's true for adults too. You know, children actually, they'll, 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 they'll push the line about as far as mom and dad will let them. But those lines, they actually function best if they are there. And they're disciplined when they push them. That's true about those of us who aren't so young also. We function best in narrowed paths. You've heard the, the phrase, good fences make good neighbors. That's true both literally and figuratively. For instance, God knew it would be best for his people that when they get married, that they have holy matrimony. If you chose to be married this morning, then God placed some lines in your life that now have been set in place. 
One spouse for life. No other one is allowed in. It's her and only her till death doth us part. It's a line that God has drawn for those who decided to get married. Now, we know by going through life and studying history, that's an, a really good line God has placed. We got to choose the one we wanted, but God drew the line after the choosing was done. There's a lot of other physical boundaries that we appreciate. We have what we call lot lines, property lines. They're often marked by oh, fence rows or stakes in the ground. We lock doors and gates. We decide then who has the keys. We have boundaries. We have, you have your desk in your office. You have your own personal workspaces. A lot of you have parked vehicles out here that you say are your vehicle. And you don't expect anybody else to drive off with it after church. We define our work, our time, recreation, social time, rest, personal time, alone time, and we keep, all, we keep track of all these with, with lines and boundaries. We use calendars and clocks and deadlines. We keep track of money and possessions. We say, so who's the owner? Who gets to say how this is used? Who has signature authority? Who has the passwords? Boundaries are good things for us. Lines are good ways to live with. And I, I know that I've especially been thinking about this the last month or two. Sometimes we struggle to know where these lines should be. Especially as it relates to, to people that we work with and people that we maybe are trying to help. If you're, like, if you're like me, sometimes you just wonder, so how is the best way to, to help or assist in this situation? <coughs> Again, I don't claim to know where all these boundaries and lines should be drawn, but I just happen to know that we need them. we're not careful while trying to help others and there's not good boundaries and good lines, we might do them more harm than good. Uh, you know, you, you've all met these people there on the cross in the cities or wherever and they have these, they're wearing these signs, homeless, they need food. And you, we've all struggled there. So how do you best help somebody like that? Again, I, I think it takes it takes wisdom from, from following, having Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that relationship right beside you. Two illustrations that have been helpful for me in sometimes knowing where these lines and boundaries should be. Years ago, I read this biography of an itinerant preacher who went from village to village in his circuit and um, he would be at this church on a Sunday morning and be at the next church on a Sunday evening the next Wednesday evening he'd be at the next church and he, he had this circuit he would make maybe arriving back once a month or every two months at these locations 
And I, I just remember reading how, how responsible he felt about taking care of his own health and the health of his horse. Because he knew that if he didn't take care of his own health and had his horse stabled well and fed well, he wasn't going to be service. He wasn't going to serve these people. The second illustration is the example of the person who is training to be certified as a lifeguard. Understand that when you get certified to be a lifeguard, that you're educated, you're taught techniques of training on what needs to be done so that the lifeguard will not allow the victim to drown the one who is to the point that sometimes he actually has to knock him so that he can save him. It takes wisdom to know where these lines need to be drawn in order to best help and serve. You know, boundaries and lines, they, they do limit us at times. There's places you and I can't go because of boundaries and lines. There's people we choose not to be with because of how they influence us. There's things we can't possess, activities we can't do. And these, limits, these limitations sometimes frustrate us and make us a little bit dissatisfied. But I again just point us to, to Jesus Christ and having him right beside us allowing him to influence our lives and our decisions, even with those boundaries put in place. If our will is surrendered to our big God, and he is really in control, then we can constantly assure ourselves that we're going to be so much better off allowing him to call the shots than insisting we call them. I conclude... If you know Jesus Christ, your bad things will work for your good. If you have Jesus Christ, your good things cannot be shaken or taken. If you have Jesus Christ, your best things are yet to come. Let's kneel for prayer.